and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that, are seats that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church of God, sorry, and in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? to all speak in tongues, to all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Katie. Good afternoon. <laughs> so for those of you who weren't here last week, Mark introduced the new sermon series, which is How Can We Be the Good News to This Community? And the idea is that each week we'll be unpacking some of the do's and the don'ts of being good news. Last week was do be the aroma of Christ. We are the ones, the followers of Jesus, who spread that fragrance, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So if last week was a do, this week is a don't. Don't be arrogant. We're doing this together. I want to begin by telling you a story that's really genuinely challenged me recently. Henry Nguyen had been a priest 25 years and had spent 20 years in the world of academia teaching. But when he reached his 50s, he realised that he was living in a place of burnout. Outwardly, he appeared to be a spectacular, successful Christian, but actually, he was living in a life of isolation. So after much prayer, and praying that really dangerous prayer, wherever you send me, Lord, I will go, he felt that God said... Move from Harvard, from the best and the brightest, and go and live in a home called Daybreak. Um, and Daybreak was a community for those with severe learning disabilities. Um, and then one day, Henry was invited to present a sermon at a high-profile Christian leadership event in Washington, D.C. And he decided to ask Bill to join him and to share in the ministry with him. Now, Bill was a member of Daybreak community, 
And he was a man of few words, but he was someone that Henry sort of connected with and he felt could cope with the prestigious event. So off they went together, and all the way there, Bill kept saying to Henry, we're doing this together, we're doing this together. And Henry would keep replying, yes, we're doing this together, but he didn't actually believe it. Um, where have I got to? Um, and yeah, what was so beautiful about the story was that by the end of the trip, and on the flight home, Bill kept saying, we did it together, we did it together. And Henry actually finally believed it and realized it. He became humbled at the amazing value and warmth and normality and support that Bill brought him every step of the way. Even though Henry had been living in Daybreak Community for some time, he'd been sort of living with that arrogance. It was only during his visit to Washington, D.C. that he discovered that he needed Bill just as much as he needed him. And this week, I've realized that in many ways, I am arrogant. And I don't mean in the sort of Lord Sugar's apprenticeship type way that you see on TV. I mean there's something about the hidden nature of arrogance that's actually a bit more subtle and a bit more dangerous. I want to suggest that there are two subtle ways that we can all be arrogant. The first is to say, I'm not needed. And the second is to say, I can manage by myself. I don't need other people. The first attitude, I'm not needed, is actually a false humility. And the second, I can do this by myself, is a false independence. And the result of both of these attitudes is isolation. One of the reasons I'm looking into ordained ministry is because I'm passionate about the church. I really strongly believe the church is God's plan, both for us and for the salvation of the whole world. And that to be a Christian means being part of the church and part of that amazing plan. But if we start believing these two statements, I'm not needed, or they don't need me, or I don't need others, we, risk the run of, we run the risk of separating ourselves from God's local church and God's plan. So firstly, if you're one of those people who thinks, I'm not needed, that's simply not true. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul uses the universal and timeless analogy of the church being a body. And not just any body, but he says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. There's an old saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And I just want you to turn around just for a second. Have a look around you. This is the church. Just go on, have a look. (laughs) Before you do or say anything, if you are a Christian, you are part of this body. Verse 12 says, For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Basically, No matter what your background, where you come from, what you've done in the past, whatever guilt and shame you may carry, whatever burdens or baggage you have, when you become a Christian, all of the earthly distinctions, the things that humanly separate us, have been completely washed away. You receive the same spirit as me and as the people around you. You're not alone. You're a part of this body. You are connected and you have a part to play. We are doing this together and each one of us is needed. I love the next part of Paul's letter. Being a Christian does not mean you get dissolved into this morph-like, homogenous lump of people where everyone blends and conforms and looks exactly the same way. Paul beautifully animates this imagery by personifying the body parts. In verse 15 to 20, the foot starts speaking and says, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And the ear says, 
I am not an eye, so I don't belong to the body, which of course is ridiculous. So the foot and the ear think that because they are not the same as the other body parts, they don't belong. Have you ever looked at anyone else in the church and either thought or said, I'm not needed because I'm not like him or her? Or, I wish I was more like so-and-so, and then I'd be able to do dot, dot, dot. If only I was musical, if only I could teach, if only I was more extrovert, and then I could be more confident. Just look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And if you were trying to imagine what this sort of body would look like, I have a useful image for you on the screen, hopefully. (laughs) This is not a body. This is a monster. If everyone in the church was exactly like one person, this is what it would be. You cannot say, I'm not needed, because all the members of the body are needed if there's to be a body and not a monstrosity. Heaven, I think, will be an amazing, mind-blowing discovery of diversity with people from every tribe and every nation, and we get a glimpse of that in Revelation. God intends us to be united in our diversity as an expression of the breadth of his creativity. Don't be arrogant. We're doing this together. So what about needing other people? What about needing each other? If you find yourself saying, I, can't, I can manage by myself, thank you very much. I don't need other people. People aren't always easy. People sometimes hurt us. Sometimes if you want to get something done, it's easier just to do it yourself. But the truth is that there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. I've had the sadness of knowing a few people who felt that church just wasn't satisfying their needs, and they felt that they weren't getting anything out of it, and they decided in the end that actually they didn't need to come to church. And they thought that actually they could just focus on their own personal relationship with God by themselves, and they could listen to the best worship music in the world on their phone, and they could listen to the best sermons in the world on their phone. And that was all they needed. Sometimes people do this because they've started to view the church from a consumerist perspective. But sometimes, actually, people withdraw from church out of a genuine, natural reaction to pain or sadness or disappointment. And it's really easy to do that. But it's not what God intended. It's not the way it's meant to be. We need each other. We're doing this together. This letter to the Corinthians is Paul's response to a divided community. In verse 21 to 26, Paul shifts the emphasis from diversity to unity. The higher up body parts look down at the lower parts and say, I don't need you. So you've got the eye looking down at the hand and the head looking down at the feet. The church in Corinth had a few issues that Paul was addressing. The arrogant, the proud, the wealthy were excluding the poor. And there was arrogance over wisdom and knowledge. There was disunity over the Lord's Supper. So they were having feasts together in their separate groups. And then the poor were going hungry. And there was an over-enthusiasm for one particular spiritual gift. Which meant that all the other wonderful gifts and acts of service that God had made available to the church were being neglected. Paul then talks about the parts of the body that appear weaker or less presentable. These are the unseen parts of the body. And the question that Paul is asking is, how do you view your weaker brother or sister? So if asked, maybe, what about those who um, can't come to church because they're sick? What about someone who's weak? 
and can't just help out practically, they're not strong enough? How do you view someone who's maybe weaker in their faith, who's vulnerable and finds it hard to persevere? How do you view someone with less knowledge than you, maybe those who are younger or even people who are much older than you? Paul talks about having no division, but the word is equal concern for one another. He says that we should care for one another so so much that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honoured, every part rejoices. We're doing this together. In the final part of the chapter, Paul returns to the subject of gifts. At the start of chapter 12, in verse 4 to 11, Paul makes it really clear that God has distributed different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, and different kinds of working to each person just as he chooses for the common good of the whole church. I read a news story recently um, about a girl who had just left the world of modeling, um, and she's now writing a book about her experiences in an attempt to reveal the harshness of that industry. She was headhunted in France and soon found that in order to be a really successful model, she needed to lose a lot of weight very quickly. So she decided she could survive on three apples a day and nothing else for several weeks. So you can imagine the detrimental effect to not just her body, but her psyche as well. Just as the girl discovered she needed a healthy body and mind through a balanced intake of food, Paul is in effect saying that the church is designed to have a healthy and varied diet of gifts and services and working. He says in verse 29 and 30, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all interpret? We all as individuals bring unique nutritional value to the body. You are needed and you need others. So finally, it all sounds great, I understand now that I am needed and that I need others, hopefully. And how can this be good news to the world? There's a publication by the Church of England, and it's called Mission Shaped Church. And I highly recommend it. It's very interesting. Um, And it highlights some of the cultural trends of the last 30 years. It talks about changes in housing, employment, the increase of mobility, globalization, all these Asians, um, and consumerism. And from these snapshots, you can start to see how society and individual lives are becoming more and more fragmented. We're becoming more urban, more individualistic, and more critical, perhaps, than previous generations. An individual can now create their own online social network. So I can connect remotely with people. I can have my leisure and work-related networks. But the sad thing is that all of these communities that I can create for my own needs I can also dispose of them when I don't need them anymore. The communities of the global age have no local centre. People living in the same street will have fleeting relationships with, other, with each other, having completely different lifestyles and different arrangements. I really believe that we as a church have a significant opportunity at this point in history, in this part of the world, to display another radical way of living in a culture that's been pulled apart and it doesn't even realise. Loneliness, isolation, lack of friendship and intimacy, boredom, feelings of emptiness and depression, along with a deep sense of uselessness, fills the hearts of millions of people. What really lies behind the mask of this self-confident contemporary world is the cry, is there anybody who loves me? Is there anyone who really cares? 
Is there anyone who wants to be with me when I'm not in control, when I feel like crying? Is there anyone who can give me a sense of belonging? The Christian call is of interdependence and interconnectivity. It's about being the opposite to what's going on. If we want to be a visible reminder of God to the world, we need to remember that we are representing a relational God, a God who is three in one, who works together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in unity. And that is what we're called to be and to do, to work together, to be involved in each other's lives. The greatest human desire is the desire for connectedness, to know and be known. We are made in the image of a triune God. Every Christ-like life individually acts as salt and light and makes an impact. But take a big group of Christians, take all of us, men and women, showing love in action, forgiving, serving, encouraging, building one another up, rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. Church that looks like this, will have a profound influence on those looking in and as well as those choosing to join in. When church communities really embody the New Testament model for one another's and mutual care, their attention turns outwards to the local, sorry, <laughs> their attention turns outwards and the local and worldwide dimension opens up. The church, I really believe, has the potential to change the world. We're doing this together. Amen.